have two readings today, one from Genesis in the Old Testament and the second from Mark in the New Testament. The first reading is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through to chapter 2, verse 3. And it can be found on page 3 of the Black Church Bibles and it will also be on the screen. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now to the second reading, which is Mark chapter 2. Verse 23 through to chapter 3, verse 6, and it's on page 1,559 of the Church Bibles and the screen. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son, is man, the son of man is Lord even on the Sabbath, of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Thanks so much, Melissa. Uh, I'm Paul Harrington. If I haven't met you, actually I'm Paul Harrington even if I have met you, but uh, great to see you here today. Just to remind you where we're going in this series. So we're spending four weeks in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, the first week we looked at 
uh, God the Creator, the one who's made us, and the implications for us in our relationship with Him. Last week we looked at what it meant to be made in the image of God. Uh, God makes, makes us male and female in His image. What, what does that mean? What implications does it have? Uh, today we come to the issue of uh, work, but also rest. Uh, as you would have picked up, God the worker rests on the seventh day. What are the impl- how do they work together, uh, work and rest? Now, if I can just signal, next week we're looking at the whole question of being created male and female and the nature of marriage as we look particularly into chapter 2. Now, I'm aware that when we come to that question of uh, uh, gender identity, uh, the question of marriage coming out of the same-sex marriage debate of last year, this is pretty topical. Uh, some of you may have seen The Australian yesterday and heard all the reporting this week about the Gillette ads. You know, it used to be the best a man can get. I can't remember what it's called this time. But questions about the nature of being male and masculinity... Um, you might have lots of questions that spring to mind because of the sort of debates that we're in right now. If you do, then do feel free to write them down on that tear-off slip in the leaflet and uh, just put them in the bag a little later on in the gathering and they can be fed to me as I prepare this week. I may not answer all the questions next week. It'll be impossible to cover everything. And Mark has promised that when he preaches the following week, he'll cover all the things I don't cover off on. So uh, wonderful, wonderful promise there. He'll... He'll deal with all the tricky issues uh, when you get to that. But, but seriously, though, if you do have questions or things that you'd love me to cover, I'm just aware we've got um, gender dysphoria, we've got the whole same-sex marriage thing, we've got um, transgender issues going on. There, there really are lots of questions that are being raised, uh, both for um, parents as they think about their children, for us as a culture and a society, okay? It's a big topic. But today, as I say, we're going to focus our attention on the whole nature of uh, work and rest, uh, the way we're made in God's image. And um, at the end of this, I'm going to commission us for the work that we do. Uh, Well done, those of you who've dressed in their work clothes. I have too, as you'll see. Uh, This is what I always wear. Uh, Not the same shirt every time, but you know. uh, So it was very simple for me today, but well done for those of you who've dressed up. Let me, um, having said those things, let me pray and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy to us and your son. We pray that as we think about the nature of of work and and rest as well, how they go together, how we're to think about our purpose in this world, uh, that you'll give us insight from your word and understanding about how it is we should live for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I reckon when you, you get here Sunday by Sunday and you're catching up with one another, one of the most common questions we ask is, how was your week? Right? How was your week? It's just a good social sort of hook to get into things. Now, let me say, the answer I most often give and the answer I most often hear is something like this. Yeah, I've been so busy, you know, flat out. I've hardly had time to breathe, you know. It's been so, so, so much going on, you know. And I think we, we're often doing that. Uh, and even those of us who are, uh, say, in retirement... So I ask retirees, how are you enjoying being retired? Right? Here's the most common answer I get. You know, I'm so much busier now than when I was working. I don't know how I had time to do what I'm doing now. You know, it's that sort of... And there's something about our culture that operates on that cycle of busyness and activity. 
it, it flows into work, but I think it flows into absolutely everything. And I wonder if part of it is that, that it's, in some ways as we talk, a justification for who we are in this world. If we're busy, we must be useful, you know, and doing useful sorts of things. Uh, I'm not sure exactly that's right, but, but there's something about the nature of the fast pace of life. When we come to these chapters, we see God working, and we know we're made in his image, so we know we're made to work, but we also see God resting. And there's something about being made in his image and resting that's critical for us as we think through what's going on. So let's look at it together. There's an outline in the leaflet if that's useful for you. Let's look at God on work. Uh, The storyline of the Bible is of God creating us. Uh, We get to Genesis 3. We're not touching on that in this series, but it's a time when people say, uh, nick off God, I'll do my own thing. And I take it in a world where we take, tell God to move out of the way and we don't have him in the right place, we're going to substitute other stuff for God. That is, instead of worshipping the God who made the world, what we do is we attach ourselves to the things he's made in order to get our sense of significance and purpose. Now, from that point of view, it seems to me that work is a real candidate when it comes to Uh, looking to the creation for our significance rather than to the God who made us. Um, It is a temptation. And work is the thing we do in life that dominates our waking hours. It's said that on average, a person entering a workforce will work for 100,000 hours during the course of their life. That's, That's big. You want it to be meaningful. What's the meaning of work? Henry Ford, who was the guy who mass produced motor vehicles, he was sort of the hero of the modern industrial age, he made this comment about work uh, a long time ago. He said, I do not think a man can ever leave his business. You ought to think about it by day and dream about it by night. Thinking men know that work is the salvation of the human race, morally, physically, socially. Work does more than get us a living, it gets us a life, right? Now, yeah, I don't know about you, I feel like it's a bit overstated, you know, that uh, uh, I don't think work or unemployment, the lack of work, should ever dominate your existence in the way in which Ford says it should. What do we discover as we turn to this part of the Bible? Well, the first thing we see is God is a worker. Uh, it's so different to the gods of the ancient Near East. The Greek gods would never get their hands dirty making anything, right? It was beneath them. But here we have a God who makes the universe. He creates the world. He fashions it. He shapes it. He fills it. He creates humanity uh, for living in his world. He gives them a task. This is a God who is fully involved in systematically constructing the whole universe. And he's a God who loves uh, beauty, I mean, even in a world after Genesis 3, this, this is a creation that is glorious. Right? I've, three days this week, I've come up through the hills to Handorf. Uh, and, uh, you know, it really is a beautiful part of the world that just screams of the creator who has made it. That is our God. The creation is good and God sustains it. We're also told that because we're made in the image of God, work is a part of what we do in this world. 
in chapter 1, verse 27, three times we're told we're made in God's image. In the previous verse, verse 26, uh, we're told that we are to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. Then in verse 28, our instruction is to subdue the earth and rule over it. That is not to pillage it or uh, demean it or degrade it. That's not the purpose, but actually to care for it uh, as if in God's shoes, that is his sub-tenants in this world. We're like God uh, in the sense that we're meant to be creatively stewarding the world and we're meant to be creators, sub-creators of the one who's made us. And you know that, uh, even me, like I'm the most useful, useless, I should say, uh, handyman that, uh, that God has ever created. Uh, I can hardly repair anything. I remember one time we, um, Sue asked me to put uh, the numbers for our house on the front cement, cement pillar of our house. So it's a big cube-like block at the front, right? So 23. I got out my drill, right? I got the numbers. I took them out the front and I screwed them into place, right? And I felt pretty good about the job. And Sue, I invited Sue to go out and have a look. You know, because any time I accomplish anything like that, I get everyone to gather around and applaud, right? Because uh, it's so rare for me to achieve it. She went out the front, had a look, she came back in, didn't say anything. And I thought, I said, well, what did you think of the numbers? She said, oh, I know, I really appreciate you doing it. But not, not near the enthusiasm I would have thought. I said, what was wrong? She said, you know, it's a big cement block, right? You had two numbers, right? Why did you put them? on one corner of this block, you know. They're meant to go in the middle. I thought, oh, really? You know, like, that's my capacity. But whenever I do anything good, I gather people around to cheer, you know, because of... Now, I don't know about you. You're probably like that. When you actually accomplish something, you build something, uh, you grow something, you cook something, you sow something, whatever it is, there is a sense of achievement that comes with that. And, uh, and quite reasonably, you should delight in it. God has made us to be creative. But part of the the task of being humans in this world is to actually undertake the work of God in this world, that is, as his sub-delegates. You pick it up in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Where Subtenants, we're, we're lessees. And that means whether you're self-employed, whether you're employed by somebody else, whether you're unemployed, whether you're paid for your work or not paid for your work, whether you're retired, in whatever sphere of life you find yourself in, you are serving the ultimate boss, the Lord of heaven and earth. And we're all, always to bear that in mind. But of course, when you get to Genesis 3 and we're not spending much time there, what we see is a world that steps away from God and it has implications in terms of the breakdown for creation. Work actually becomes tough. Uh, The world doesn't produce in the way it once did prior to the fall. Uh, If you're a gardener, you know that's the case. You, You grow flowers in your garden, but the weeds always grow twice as fast as the flowers. I take it that's a product of the fall. You know, it's it's just the way our world function. So that's God on work. But as I said before, I think, in fact, 
when we get to Genesis chapter 2 and we see God resting, that tells us more about who we are as people than our work should. Let me try and explain to you. Um, Last week we saw uh, that the the sort of apex of God's creative efforts is humanity and the way he's made humanity. There are all sorts of reasons why that sixth day and the making of people uh, in the image of God is that creative high point. But the real high point in this narrative comes with the seventh day, not the sixth day when animals and humans are made. In fact, I think that the chapter break here we've got in the Bible between chapters 1 and 2 is really unfortunate. Uh, The editors generally do a great job of dividing up the Bible helpfully and putting in verses so we know where we're going. But it's it's not originally Bible, if that makes sense. It's just editorial insertions to help us work our way through it. And when you come to Genesis 1 and 2, the seventh day uh, starts at the beginning of chapter uh, 2, but it's a completion of chapter 1, right? It's no reason for sort of separating it out. And what we see here is that God the worker, he rests. Let me read again chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Now remember, the number seven is significant in the Bible. It speaks of um, perfection or wholeness or completion. And sevens are riddled throughout this opening of the Bible. There are seven Hebrew words in chapter 1, verse 1. There are 14 Hebrew words in verse 2. Seven times, we're told, and God saw it was good. Uh, Here, we are drawn, our attention is drawn to the seventh day. Uh, this This is a day of completion in the purposes of God. And it's a different day. Every time as we've been going through these six days, there's been a mantra that finishes every day, like at the end of verse 31 of chapter 1. There was evening, there was morning, there was the sixth day. When you get to the end of the seventh day, it's not there, is it? There's no, there was evening, there was morning, there was the seventh day. There's no conclusion to the seventh day. Isn't that interesting? And I take it that in God's purposes, this seventh day is still ongoing. You understand, it's, it's a day that actually is the one that everything's been pointing to as you go through these, chap- these, these first six days and the whole purpose. So God rests on the seventh day. Now, now why does God rest? Well, it's a big effort making the universe and the world, right? So was God tired? Uh, was he sort of where his batteries run down? You know, his creative juices have been all expended and he needed a bit of time to, you know, balance out and, uh, you know, have, have a power aid or something? Uh, now, why? I mean, obviously none of that. Why, why does God rest on this seventh day? Come with me back to chapter 2, verse 3. Notice what it says. It says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy that is God set this day apart as a significant day as we think about his purposes in this world he marks it out now what's its significance what I'm going to do for a few moments is just go to a couple of pointer 
spots in the Old Testament and then the New that talk about the significance of this Sabbath or this uh, seventh day. When you go to Exodus chapter 20, uh, this is the place where the Ten Commandments are outlined for God's people. And one of those ten is the obligation on God's people, the Israelites, to maintain the Sabbath. Now, the idea of the Sabbath got twisted in different ways. You heard about that in Mark chapter 2, didn't you? Where Jesus heals on the Sabbath and all the, uh, the Pharisees around him go, ooh, that was a terrible thing, him healing that man who was sick, you know, who had the shriveled hand. You know, there's a hardness of heart associated with this day and a misinterpretation of it. Why, why was the Sabbath implemented for God's people? Back in Exodus uh, chapter 20, what we're told is it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So its primary purpose is not to not work. Its primary purpose is to give God's people a focus on him, the one who made them, and to understand their relationship to him. That's reinforced when you go to a place like Exodus 31, where uh, they're told again to keep the Sabbath uh, as God's people. And in fact, given instructions that if anyone disobeys this commandment, they should be executed, which is really, it's pretty extreme, isn't it? Kill people for not keeping the Sabbath. Why? Why is it so extreme? Well, because to work on this day in God's perspective was actually to reject him. It was to say, I don't need you, God. I will do my own thing and provide for myself and live as if you don't exist. See, that's the greatest defence you can ever give God, to tell him just to nick off. As we move through to to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, listen to what it says here about Sabbath. Remember you're a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. These people have been rescued from slavery in Egypt and were being brought to the promised land. And the instruction here is for them when they live in this wonderful land to not just think, isn't it great living in Australia or the equivalent thereof? We live in a great country, don't we? Not to get attached to the created order and think that that's what it's all about, but to remember the Lord your God who rescued you out of slavery and brought you to this land and to serve him in this land. That's the purpose of this Sabbath instruction. But it wasn't just to be one day. If you um, went to Exodus 23, we're told that every seventh year was to be a Sabbath. They'd have a year off from doing any sort of labour. Now, if you are someone who depended on the soil to provide what you needed, to have a year off is pretty risky, I would have thought. But again, it reminds them they depended upon God. It also meant they could be generous to the poor in their land who could just glean out of the field and get what they needed. So it was a year to remind them of that. And then if you went to Leviticus 25, every 49th year, every seven times seven years, there was a jubilee. And that year, all the land that anyone had acquired over that period of time would revert back to its original owner. It was a levelling off, a way of being fair and caring for the nation and a way in which God demonstrated that, the jubilee. See, what's the Sabbath all about? 
Why does God rest and institute this rest? It was for refreshment, you know, to, to recharge your batteries. But primarily it was to remember the God who had blessed them. It was to remember the future that God had promised his people. To remember that life in this world is about serving the one who made you or serving him in this world. I reckon it's a bit like uh, when a couple who've got a great marriage celebrate their anniversary. Uh, Sue and I are coming up for our 39th wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks' time. And what we'll do is we'll work out some way of celebrating that big time. And it will involve us looking back and thinking, you know, how wonderfully God has been generous to us over a whole lot of years. We'll celebrate a relationship that he has given us with him but with one another and what a blessing that is. And then we'll look forward and think about a future together in God's kindness in this world and in the world to come. It's, it's, that, it's a time for stopping and giving thanks and celebrating. Sabbath was meant to be like that in relation to God. A time to stop and to give thanks and to celebrate all that God had done. The God who works, the God who rests, the God who makes us in his image to both work and rest. What I want to do for just a few moments is to try and stop and tease out some implications for our thinking about work and some implications for rest for us uh, today. Okay. Firstly, motivations for working. Um, When you move into the Old Testament or the New Testament and you're looking for information about uh, work and jobs and what should go on with them, there's almost nothing actually about job choice. It's interesting that the thing that actually dominates Australia in the 21st century is what what job you do. And if you get that right, then you'll be a happy bunny. You know, you'll be satisfied and fulfilled as a person. That's the way in which our society operates. The Bible doesn't think that way. The Bible doesn't operate thinking that your work is meant to give you that sense of purpose or fulfilment. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible's actually generally pretty practical. In a place like 2 Thessalonians 3, um, there's some instructions on work. Now, the context here is a um, writing to a church where there are some people who had a, a bit of a strange view about when Jesus was coming back. There were some people who obviously expected that Jesus was going to bounce back at any time and to wind up the history of this world. And that had caused some of them to give up their jobs. They figured, no point in working if Jesus is about to come back. Let's just relax, sit in a deck chair, and applaud when he comes over the horizon. You know, it was that sort of way of, way of thinking. What Paul does is he, he instructs them about the nature of Jesus' return, but also about how they should live as they wait for him to come back. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, uh, he says this is a command from the Lord. And in verse 7, he says... He worked, even though he was preaching the gospel as a tent maker, a tenor, uh, so they should follow his example. The reason people work, he says in verses 9 to 10 of 2 Thessalonians 3, is so that they won't be a burden on other people. If you don't work, then you tend to uh, live off other people. They provide for you. In verse 10, there's the extraordinarily pragmatic instruction about why you should work. He says the reason you work is so that you can eat. 
provide the necessities of life. And then in verse 11, he says it's really helpful to work as well because if you've got too much time in your hands, you've, you'll probably become a gossip and, a, you know, like you'll get into mischief if you haven't got something to do to keep busy. It's really practical sort of stuff. Now, he's not talking to people who can't get a job, right? He's talking to people who refuse to work. Uh, that's the instruction in this context. Now, there are other things the New Testament says. It says that in our work we can reveal the character of God, um, that um, if we operate with integrity and faithfulness, that people can see that in us and it draws their attention to the fact that we serve the God who is like this. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul's instructing slaves and he says, work as a slave uh, not for your master but for your master in heaven. That is, whatever you do, serve the Lord and have, be mindful of the fact that his eyes are on you, not just your slave owner. Now, it's not directly applicable, but I take it that all of us, when we work, are to think whether we're self-employed, employed, whether we're unemployed. We're always to think we serve for God in this world and his eyes are upon us. Now, we're to live with integrity, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul says the, the thief should no longer steal. That is, he says, if you become a Christian and you're a really skilled thief, perhaps that's a job not to do. You know? uh, and that makes sense. That is, there are some things we ought to do as we serve the Lord, and one of them is to have integrity. There's not a lot more that the Bible says about either the job we should do or the way we should go about our job. Now, can I tell you some things the Bible definitely does not say, but which I think are common, especially in uh, educated Western thinking? Our value as people is never tied up with our job, with the work we do. Our value as people is not, as, not equivalent to the job we do. Now, that may seem obvious, but I don't think it is. I think in our society, people derive so much of their sense of identity from the work that they do or the work that they can't do. In a social setting, if you meet someone you don't know, one of the first questions that tends to come up is, what do you do? Now, yeah, it's just being polite, I guess. But I think, in part, it's a pecking order thing too. I'm not saying don't, don't do it, right? But I am saying be aware of the risk that comes with having that sort of agenda. You see, our, our value comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. We are extraordinary beings because God has imbued him imbued us with, with his own character and nature and purposes. Let me just um, sharpen it up for you. God does not think specialised medical practitioners are more important than unemployed used car salesmen. Do you understand what I'm saying? God does not think there is any distinction between those two people in terms of their 
value. And we ought not think that about other people, but we definitely shouldn't think it about ourselves. That somehow our value is tied up with what we do. I think another thing that we, we do tend to operate with is our world values people on the basis, and you can work it out on the basis of how much they're paid. Now, I've got no problems with different people earning different amounts of money. I don't think it's a big deal at all. But you should never think that someone's more important because of the money they have or the money they're paid for their job, as if their money payment makes them more important. Do you understand why in a creative world that's so stupid? You see, here you have a God who has made people to rule over the world. And instead of looking to God for our significance, what we do is we, we look to our jobs, right? And what our jobs pay us, or the status our jobs give us, or the satisfaction our jobs give us. It's all the wrong way around. Your jobs, the created order, is not meant to tell you who you are. God is. It's just all back to front. See? The Bible is really clear on this sort of thing, and it just shapes up our thinking. Uh, if you're unemployed, if you're in a low-paying job, if you're in volunteer work, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're... Uh, the fact that you get paid nothing means nothing. It may have implications for providing food, shelter, but it doesn't say anything about who you are as a person. Okay? Work. Let me talk about rest for a few moments. Uh, I think rest actually is meant to tell you about your purpose and your significance as a human being in a way that work's not meant to do. Uh, secular studies uh, do demonstrate that the people who are most productive in their work uh, are more productive if they know how to rest well, uh, if they know how to recharge and rejuvenate. All the secular information coming back indicates that that is the case. And most of us know that that's true. Like, I know that if I work too hard, too flat out, I, start, I find myself getting grumpy and I, uh, you know, that has its impact on everyone around me and everyone becomes unproductive around me, you know, either at home or at work. You know, knowing how to get that balance right is absolutely critical. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the Bible's understanding of this rest is much more than just a break so that you can recharge or a break so you can go flat out exhausting yourself with leisure activities. Right? Uh, the, the Bible thinks about it very different. On the seventh day, God invites us, invites humanity to enjoy him. And that's what rest is, to be reminded that all of life is about a relationship with the one who made you. The Westminster uh, Confession, this is the Presbyterian Church statement, it describes our purpose in this way. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now we know that Genesis 2 is followed by Genesis 3 where relationship with God is, is fractured. And then the remainder of the Bible talks about how this relationship is being restored ultimately through Jesus. 
It's why when Jesus um, turns up and speaks of his mission, he explains in a place like Mark 2 and 3 that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what's he saying at that point? Well, he is saying that he is his God. He is saying he can do whatever he likes on the Sabbath. He is saying those sorts of things. But, you know, the primary thing he's saying is that he is the one who restores us back into relationship with God. He is the one who can forgive us and heal that relationship. That's why Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus, um, speaking to those around him, says, Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I'll give you restored relationship with God, forgiveness, peace, rest, the ability to enjoy God forever. And this rest is meant to point us to um, God's eternal retirement plan uh, to help us keep that in mind. Work shouldn't dominate our minds and our hearts. There's lots of reasons for that. One is because it doesn't last. Um, you know, the government's worked that, that out. You, you work in paid employment for maybe 40 years and then you could be alive for 40 beyond that. So that's why they've introduced compulsory superannuation so they don't have to pay us for that time when we're not working. You know, like the government's worked out the nature of that. But even at a practical level, most of us know that the stuff we do is not going to last. I'm so thankful for doctors, particularly while Sue's sick, but I know that if Sue recovers from cancer, there's a fair chance she'll still die. It might be in 20 or 30 years, but the doctor's work is not a foolproof against death. Doctors know that. Engineers know they build bridges, right? But the bridges will eventually be demolished or they'll fall down. You know, I worked as a lawyer. Right? When I get to heaven, um, God is not going to say to me, Paul, I've got a whole filing cabinet full of wills that you drafted. Great drafting, Paul. You know, like... This is not going to be a topic of conversation when I get to heaven. It's a matter of complete indifference at that point. But rest does speak about our relationship with God that starts when we put our trust in Jesus and endures for all eternity. That's why the writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. He says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's not talking about the fact that there's another day that's coming up where they'll need to rest. He's talking about the eternal rest with God that that speaks of. And one of the reasons we meet like this is to remember um, that this world has a limited time span, and so do your lives. And therefore we look to God for our sense of purpose and fulfilment, our sense of identity, and not anywhere else. And God's the one who gives those things texture. Friends, we are made to work. Uh, there's no question about that. But we're not to think work's that important at one level. Except in so far as we serve the Lord and we serve the people around us. That's what we're called to do. What we'd love to do now is to actually commission us to be faithful in our work. Uh, to be faithful in the way in which we undertake our work as God's people, looking to the Lord, not looking for our significance in it, and faithfully serving other people.
So we're going to use some um, words of commissioning uh, for different groups, different people uh, who are here today. And uh, the way it'll work is I'll try and identify some uh, different groups of people and I'd love you to stand up once I've done that so we can particularly be praying for you as we gather together. And then at the end, uh, we'll finish by standing and commissioning one another uh, for our work in the world, to be doing that faithfully with God. Now, the thing is, with uh, some of these categories, you may fall into more than one, and uh, you're allowed to stand up more than once. Okay? So if you, as soon as you hear uh, categories that overlap with who you are as a person, jump up and we will um, be praying for you. So first area we're going to be praying for people is uh, those who are primary carers of needy people, parents of children, uh, grandparents as well, support workers, community volunteers, and those in uh, the aged care uh, industry, which is so much under pressure right now. So if you're serving in one of those sorts of areas, love it if you could stand now and we'll pray for you. Okay? Please do stand. Thank you. Gracious God, you are the Father of us all, and we praise you for all those whom you've equipped and given responsibility to care for and nurture children, the elderly, and all who are vulnerable. Grant to them all the wisdom, patience, faith, grace, and forbearance needed to treat people with the dignity afforded to all who are made in your image. And Heavenly Father, help them to lean on you, knowing that your goodness and grace to them in their lives is so critical. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, those who are here who are children, so if you're under the age of 18 or thereabouts, what we'd love to be doing is praying for you to work out what it means to be faithful as you serve the Lord in your various situation. So if you're able to, if you're under 18, feel free to jump up. And uh, I'll pray for you now. Okay? Great. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for each person standing here today. We ask that you will look with favour on each one this year. May they grow primarily as your children, as um, young adults, that they'll grow in strength and respect and faith and knowledge. This year we pray that you'll keep laying in them solid foundations that they may later build on uh, to continue to stand as grown men and women useful to you, mature in your service. Father, we pray that you'll develop in them a servant heart and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Next group we'd love to pray for are those who are are teachers, uh, educators, lecturers, librarians. Uh, We've probably got a few of those here, I imagine. If you jump up, uh, we'd love to pray for you right now. Gracious Father, mighty Creator, all wisdom comes from you, and you made our world to reflect your wisdom and good order. So bless all who teach, that what they teach may result in appreciation of all that you have made, and of a right understanding of how to live in your world and to care for it. Give teachers wisdom to navigate any worldly curriculums without compromising who they are as your people, and to only teach what is true and helpful. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Healthcare workers. 
So those who are in that industry, if you jump up now, we'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are the great physician and we praise you for the healing and care you bring to people through the work of those in the healthcare industry. We lift before you all doctors and nurses, pharmacists, physios, speech pathologists, dentists, orthodontists, medical specialists, chiropractors and all other healthcare workers. May they serve with all Christ's wisdom and compassion with skill and faith in you. We ask you to bring healing to others through them and we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Next group I'd love to be praying for are those who are tradies, uh, gardeners, property developers, farmers, truck drivers and cleaners. Quite a disparate group actually, but if you fall into one of those categories, then uh, please jump up and we'll pray for you now. Let me pray. Father, you yourself planted a garden in Eden and we praise you for the value of physical work in your creation. So be with everyone here who works physically with your creation to harvest and distribute its produce and to bring order and development to our world. Help them to be faithful stewards of what you've made, to extend your care to others so that we may all thrive in your world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was both a carpenter and who worked to restore order to the world. Amen. Now, those who are working in uh, retail, sales, real estate, finance, banking, administration, governance, um, we're going to pray for you now. So if you'd stand, we'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, we pray for all who work in retail, sales or real estate. Thank you for the chance to work honestly and with integrity with people, to be agents of provision of all that has come from what you've made. Keep them free from temptation. Grant them grace with difficult customers or clients. Grant them wisdom and emotional intelligence to deal with problems. May all their clients and customers learn of your character and love through how they're treated. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. There'll be some of us who are working in the justice system, uh, law enforcement, security, defence. Uh, and if that's you, please jump up now. We'd love to pray for you too. Heavenly Father, you're just and righteous and you appoint authorities to maintain law and order in human society. Be with those whose job it is to administer and maintain justice and those who provide security so that we can live in safety. Grant them the wisdom of Solomon and the righteousness of Noah and the humility of Moses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are those who have creative abilities of which I have absolutely none uh, so those who work in the arts or graphic design uh, architecture software development science uh, those who are studying in high school or university or TAFE uh, we'd love to pray for you now so please jump up Heavenly Father you've displayed your creativity and order in making the world 
and you've gifted us to study your world, to create, to design. Help all those standing to thrive in their endeavours, to enhance your world and to bring glory to you through the use of their gifts. May those who learn May those who learn work hard to love you with their minds and to develop skill and knowledge which will be used by you for the betterment of human life and society and more people praising you for your goodness and glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There are people in our community, people in our wider community, who are struggling to find work, and it's frustrating uh, when work can't be found. I won't ask you to stand, but let me, let me just pray for them now. Heavenly Father, you created us to work, and it is uh, frustrating when we can't get it. And we pray for those who are here, and those who are known to us who are seeking work. Please hear and answer our prayers. Grant them perseverance, patience, and faith as they wait on you. Please guide them to meaningful employment. And in the meantime, please make it clear uh, what good works you've called them to do, to walk in, and give them strength and joy in doing them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we conclude, I'm going to ask everybody if you'd stand as I commission you and as we pledge ourselves to serve the Lord in this coming year. So could you all please stand? Thank you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who are made in the image of God to work, will you work diligently using the gifts that God's given you in the situation that you're in to serve others, knowing that you are serving the Lord in doing so? Together, with God's help, we will. Will you strive to give glory to God by walking faithfully with him this year in your workplace? so that others will see your good deeds and give praise to your Father who is in heaven. With God's help, we will. Will you conduct yourselves in righteousness, godliness and grace, that others may see God's character in your actions towards them? With God's help, we will. Heavenly Father, we commit to you our working year and we ask that you would watch over us and all our actions that through our work your love and goodness may extend to others and that you would help us to be salt and light, pointing people to Jesus by the way we work. In Jesus' name, amen.